You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, welcome everyone. It's great to uh, be with you today. Thanks for the many that were uh, praying for me last week, and I've been sick for a couple, for well, for a little bit I was sick, and so it was terrible. But I pre- I'm better now, and uh, and so thanks again for uh, your prayers. Though my uh, my voice is a little still a little shaky, so if it goes in and out here, um, you'll know why. But anyways, uh, if this is your first time joining us or one of the first times joining us, so glad that you're here. My name is Jake, and I'm um, just really, really love that you're here checking out Midtown, and I hope that, you, that God speaks to you today, and you're encouraged in your walk with Him, or growing in your knowledge of Him if you're exploring faith in Christ. We, we just love that you're here. You, uh, you picked a Sunday to join us as we're wrapping up a series. We're actually, this is the last message in the uh, series over the book of Ruth, and I won't lie to you, I'm a little sad that this is the last message in this series because I uh, love the book of Ruth. And one of the reasons why I love it is because uh, God, has commu- God communicates two uh, powerful truths in this book that have had a, a really significant impact on my life. The first, uh, first truth is this, I, ha- I have it up here on a slide, it's that even in the most difficult of circumstances... God is providentially at work according to his loyal love. That that is one of the key messages from the book of Ruth. We actually see this message played out real clearly through uh, Naomi's story. So if you've been with us, you know Naomi's story, it highlights this truth. That even whenever God just, uh, like the circumstances of your life just seem to shout that God is absent or that he's uncaring, or that he's rejected you, the, the truth is that he is still providentially at work even through those circumstances that seem to say otherwise. He's actually working through them according to his hesed, which is a key word in the book of Ruth, is loyal love to bring about your good. And man, I tell you, that truth has uh, helped me so much Throughout my life, when I'm facing very difficult circumstances, it's given me hope, and it's given me reason to persevere. And uh, anyways, that's one of the key uh, points, one of the key truths from the book of Ruth. And I hope that that's been getting through to you, that God has been impressing the truth of that to you. Now, the second powerful truth in the book of Ruth is that um, God often actually demonstrates and communicates his loyal love through other people, so through or through you to others or through others to you, that he often communicates his loyal love and demonstrates his loyal love through people. And man, that, that truth has really set for me a trajectory of like, I want to, I want to, I want to live that way. <laughs> I want to be one of the ways by which God is communicating and demonstrating his love to others by how I live. And it's caused me to see and really value the people God has placed in my life who have communicated and demonstrated God's love to me. And so, man, it's like this is a beautiful, just beautiful truth. And we see this truth primarily demonstrated for us through the life of Ruth and through the life of Boaz 
in this book. So these two truths, man, profound impact on my life, hopefully impacting your life. And uh, today in Ruth chapter 4, we're going to get to see how in the climax of this book, both of these truths really like build and come to fruition. And so I'm really looking forward to looking at this with uh, together. So if you will, turn to, turn to Ruth chapter 4 in your Bible, your phone, or you'll have the words up here on the slide, and we're going to work our way through Ruth chapter 4. Now before we do, as you turn there, um, let me just kind of catch you up, especially if you're just joining us today and you haven't been with us through the series, you're going to feel completely lost, uh, and so let me catch you up so you're not completely lost. And the rest of us, uh, I know we had life between last Sunday and this Sunday, so you might have just forgotten what happened, so let me try to catch you up there too. Um, chapter 1 of Ruth. Uh, begins with the focus on Naomi, this woman named Naomi, and in chapter one, her, her life basically just falls apart. It's not really a happy beginning <laughs> to this book. Uh, her husband, Elimelech, uh, moves their family uh, from Bethlehem to the foreign nation of Moab. They move because there's a famine in the land in, in Bethlehem, and so they move, and when they get to the foreign nation of Moab, uh, Elimelech dies. But Naomi has two sons, uh, and Malon and Kilion, and they, they get married. They marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth, and then there's about 10 years, a decade passes, and then both of them, both of those, her sons die. And now uh, Naomi is in a really bad spot. She's a widow with two widowed daughters-in-law, living in a foreign nation, and, and incredibly vulnerable, having to deal with this incredible tragedy. She concludes, and we probably can really understand why. Like she says, the Almighty has turned his hand against me. Like she feels rejected by God, just left uncared for by God. And so she ends up deciding, uh, and after hearing that the famine in Bethlehem has been relieved, she's like, I'm going to head back home. And she tells her daughters-in-law, she says, hey, y'all don't stay with me. I've got nothing to offer you. I'm completely rejected by God. I've got no, there's no reason for you to stay with me. Stay in Moab. Let me go back home. And one of his, her daughters-in-law, uh, Orpha, says, ends up saying, okay, and she stays in Moab. But the other, Ruth, says, no way, I'm staying with you. And one of the most, some of the most beautiful lines in all of uh, Hebrew Scripture, she says, well, hey, where you go, I'll go. You stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. And she makes this vow to Naomi. And in this vow, she is expressing, she is communicating, she is demonstrating God's loyal love to Naomi. But Naomi doesn't see that yet. And so she and Ruth return to Bethlehem, and it's an unpleasant time homecoming for her. It's a reminder of all that Naomi has lost, her husband, her two sons. And so she gets there. She says this in uh, verse 20 of chapter 1. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant one. She says, she, uh, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. But the truth was she hadn't come back completely empty. For Ruth, her daughter-in-law, was right by her side. And as this book unfolds, we see that that is the, through the providence of God, a sign of his work, his hesed love, to show Naomi that he hasn't abandoned her, that he's still at work to bless her for her good. But she doesn't see that yet. So we're into chapter 2. Chapter 2, Naomi, Ruth, they're poor. 
two widows. They don't have a lot. And so uh, Ruth decides to go and glean from a field uh, in order to get some food. And she, it just so happens to end up at a field of a man named Boaz. Now, that phrase, it just so happens, is a key phrase in the book of Ruth. That it is, it's a wink at the providence of God. That from our side of things, oftentimes in life, it just looks like circumstance. It just looks like happenstance. It just so happened that this happened in our life. But from God's side of things, it's, it's a part of how he's guiding and governing his created world, that he's involved in this. It just so happens that Ruth ends up at Boaz's field, who's a distant relative from Naomi, and he's a man of noble character. And he makes sure that Ruth is able to glean enough food from the harvest field that, she, that Naomi and Ruth are provided for, that he starts to take care of them. Then, that's chapter 2. Chapter 3, some time passes, and, Ruth, and Naomi says, hey, Ruth, it's time to get you married, you know? And so, I don't know if you've ever had a mom that said that to you, but uh, that Naomi says that to her daughter-in-law, and so she puts a plan together, and, uh, and, Na- and Ruth follows that plan, and specifically follows a plan to see if Boaz would be interested, would be willing to marry Ruth. And so they Ruth follows that plan, and it just so happens that Boaz is willing to marry Ruth. However, it's not like the romantic, like, I, I was hoping that you'd want to marry me. It's, it's this, like, willingness to be what's called a guardian redeemer. And a guardian redeemer is a kind of title in, in, uh, in Israel that, was, that would be used to speak of a, a, uh, a close relative or a relative to a family that would step in and buy the land. If, this fam- if a family had lost land, they would buy the land. Or if a family member, extended family member was in crisis and a really bad spot, would step in to care for that extended family member. And so uh, Boaz is willing to be the garden redeemer, to step in on behalf of a Limelech's family line and, in li- and, li- and uh, on behalf of of Naomi and Ruth, but he says there's actually another family member that's close, even more closely related to y'all than I am, another guardian redeemer. He says, before I say yes to stepping in, we need to go approach this person as well. And so chapter three of Ruth ends in a little bit of a cliffhanger. Like, is Boaz going to step in, be the guardian redeemer, marry Ruth, or is someone else, who is this someone else? And so that's where chapter 4 picks up. Boaz is on the way to meet with this other potential guardian redeemer, this closer relative to Naomi. And uh, what we'll see in the beginning of chapter 4 is this incredible picture of God's loyal love demonstrated through Boaz. But just a heads up. It's not going to read that way. It's going to actually read like a business transaction. And that could be a little (laughs) off-putting, okay? And so uh, stick with me. I'll kind of explain this. And then you'll be able to see how this really is a beautiful picture of loyal love. So let's look at chapter 4, verse 1. All right, y'all with me? We good? Okay. Chapter 4, verse 1 of Ruth begins this way. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate. Now, the town gate was basically where uh, a lot of uh, legal transactions would take place. It's kind of served as a civil court in view of the town elders. And so he goes to the uh, town gate, and he sat down there just as 
the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. And that, that just as, again, it's just another wink at the providence of God. It's just a way to say, like, it, it just happened to happen right at the same time. But it's like, no, this is God guiding and governing his created order to line this up specifically at this point in time. So it says the guardian, uh, uh, Boaz said to the guardian redeemer, hey, come over here, my friend, and sit down. And so he went over and sat down. And Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. And then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these uh, seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. And this other guy says, I will redeem it. And you think in this story, it's like, that's a curveball. It's like, wait, what, how, how does this guy just show up at the very end, and, and then he's going to be the one who redeems it? But Boaz um, adds one more line. Uh, he mentions one more thing that ends up changing this guy's mind. Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And at this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger or jeopardize or ruin my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Okay. Now, to understand why this guy has such a quick change, change of heart, we got to uh, understand a little bit of everyone's favorite topic here, Jewish culture and Jewish law. And so, um, you know, I know that this is something that y'all always spend your free time studying. But, and so I won't belabor this too much, but we do need to get into it in order to understand what's happening here, okay? So uh, the first thing that we should understand is that Elimelech, uh, Naomi's husband, owned a piece of property in Bethlehem, but since that he had died, and since his two sons had died, that property was now owned by Naomi. However, in uh, this patriarchal society, uh, when Naomi did not have the right to pass that land down to the next generation, she couldn't pass it on to Ruth, for example, that the land always passed through the male line, which meant that when Naomi passed away, the land would be lost, that it would go to another, another party. And with that, Elimelech's name would be lost, which was a really big deal in that culture. And so Naomi, who is poor, and Ruth, who's poor, says, okay, I'm going to end up losing the land eventually anyways from our line. I'm going to sell it to get some money. And the person that was a, a responsible to buy it and that day, and actually according to Jewish law, the only one who could really buy it, would have been a distant relative, a guardian redeemer, an influential person that would be willing to step in and redeem, purchase the land so that it could stay within the extended family's line. And so this person that Boaz is talking to is the closest potential guardian redeemer. And so Boaz says, hey, you're going to buy it? And he says, oh yeah, I'll buy it. Now here's why he was willing to buy it. 
because it was a good deal for him because this was a way for him to get extra land that he would be able to keep in his name because Elimelech was dead and Malon and Kilion were dead. And so they're going to, it's going to actually become his property. And so he says, yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy to buy it. It looked like a good deal for him. Who's he thinking about? Himself, exactly. But then Boaz adds that line in verse 5. Hey, by the way, like if you acquire the land, you also acquire Ruth. And then this was as a result of the law of Leverite marriage. We've talked about that a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to get all the way back into it. But the idea of Leverite marriage, the purpose behind it was to make way for an extended family to, to marry a widow in order to continue the line of the person who had died. In this case, Elimelech and Malon. And so if the married Ruth, if this potential guardian redeemer married Ruth, and they had a son, the son's name would stay within Elimelech's line, not this potential guardian redeemer. Okay? And that was a big deal to this potential guardian redeemer because it meant that if, they had, if he marries Ruth and they have a son, the land that he purchased would go to that son. It would stay in the line of Elimelech. And he would be out the money that he used to purchase that land. And so now this potential great deal looked like it has a lot of risk to it. It's like, I'm going to be out this money. I get this wife. Now I have more people to, to care for, this family. If we have a son, then I lose all of it? Well, I can't do that. That would endanger, jeopardize, potentially ruin my own estate. Does that make sense? I know that's a lot of ins and outs, but in order to understand what's going on here, you have to understand that this man is, is not interested in being a guardian redeemer. He's interested in getting some extra land. He's interested in himself. He's interested in what, how it can benefit him. And when it feels like there's a risk that it might not fully benefit him, he says, I can't do this. You do this. And Boaz, as we'll see, is very willing to do that because he wasn't in it for himself. This was not a land grab. This was not what can this do for me, for Boaz. This was him truly looking as a way to care for his extended family, to keep the line of Elimelech going, and to care for Naomi and provide for Ruth. So, uh, the potential guardian redeemer says, hey, let's, let's make it official. I'm not buying this. You buy it. And uh, he takes off the sandal and he gives it to Boaz, as one would do in situ situations like this, right? So, verse 7. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the garden redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. All right. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. See, he's saying their names. He's wanting their names to be remembered, their line to be continued. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite. Malon's widow as my wife, in order to, and like here's his motivation, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. 
so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. And today you are witnesses. See, uh, in complete contrast with this other guy, Boaz is saying, and my estate is not what's important to me. What's important is that Elimelech's name doesn't disappear, and what's important is that Naomi and Ruth are cared for. Now, uh, I know, like I said, I got a little technical there, but I don't want you to miss this for what Boaz does here is he gives us this powerful picture of God's hesed, his loyal love. See, this is love that takes care of people even at great personal cost. Love that takes care of people even at great personal cost. See, love according to Scripture is not primarily a warm, fuzzy feeling that you have towards someone else. Now, love according to Scripture is sacrificial service on behalf of another. Sacrificial service on behalf of another. And that's what Boaz is doing here. And friends, that kind of love is powerful. And it's powerful because it's a reflection of not just what God is like, but actually of who God is. Think about what the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 4, very succinctly and very powerfully. He says, God is love. Because, again, that doesn't mean that God is this happy, fuzzy, warm feeling of attraction towards someone else. That that means that God is in his triune essence, Father, Son, and Spirit, he is sacrificial service on behalf of another. And when we choose to love someone in a costly way, when we choose to sacrificially serve others, We're giving people a picture of what God is like, the very heart of the universe, the very heart of God, what that is like. And that, my friends, is beautiful, and it's powerful. And as this chapter winds up and this book winds up, the author of Ruth wants us just to see how powerful it is. He gives us three looks into the power of loyal love. And the first thing that he shows us is that the loyal love has the power to move witnesses, to move onlookers. And when you see it, it blows you away. Look look at how we see this in Ruth chapter 4, picking up in verse 11. It says, Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. Now, that's a big statement because Rachel and Leah were the two women from whom the 12 tribes of Israel came from. And so these witnesses are saying, may you and Ruth have lots and lots of babies and influence of your family be felt throughout throughout the entire earth. And then they go on. May you have standing in Ephrathah and famous, be famous in Bethlehem. Like, may God make a name for you, Boaz. You are the town hero. Let's erect a statue in your honor. See, we want your name to be famous in this clan, in this town. Why? Because of this incredible act of loyal love that you are showing Elimelech's family, that you're showing Naomi, and that you're showing Ruth then Through the offspring, they say, the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, 
and ta- that, uh, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, Perez had become the most populous clan in Judah. And so these witnesses are saying, Boaz, may your family have influence in our entire nation. What you're doing is so incredibly phenomenal. We want lots of little Boaz and Ruth's running around. We want our streets filled with the likes of y'all. See, these onlookers, these witnesses, were blown away by this act of loyal love. They, they were moved by it. Boaz's willingness to love others even at great cost to himself moved them to praise him and want more people like him in their city. And friends, whenever we see acts of loyal love, don't we want the same? Aren't we blown away? Aren't we saying, man, I wish that happened more often? I wish the city of Austin had many more people in it that did that. See, then Austin would be a lot more like heaven. Because acts of loyal love is an act and reflection of the very heart of God. See, these onlookers, they're moved by this powerful display of loyal love. But that's just one of the results that comes from this. The second is that it has the power, loyal love has the power to redeem broken lives. To redeem broken lives. We see this in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, the women of the village, this women of Bethlehem, they said, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the the women living there said, Naomi has a son. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that powerful? See, this son is the uh, proof to Naomi that even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, God was still providentially at work according to his loyal love. That he had not abandoned her. That he didn't... uh, uh, He wasn't uncaring towards her. He was at work to bring about something really good for her. The son that her own sons, the grandson that her own sons couldn't provide had been provided by the daughter-in-law who had reflected the very heart of God, his loyal love towards her. And it gets even better than that, but I'll get to that in just a second. Friends, What you see here is is that truth. God's at work, even in the most difficult circumstances, providentially working to bring about good according to his loyal love. You see that here, and you also see the other thing in here, that God often works through people to demonstrate and to communicate his loyal love to them. Because that's what's happened here, that through Ruth staying with Naomi, she communicated, she demonstrated God's loyal love. And through Boaz stepping in as a guardian redeemer and marrying Ruth, God, he's communicated, he's demonstrated God's loyal love here to Naomi. Because this is how God often works. He wants to work. He invites us to allow him to work 
through us, through you, to be the, the avenue by which he is communicating and he is demonstrating loyal love to others. That you and I, we, we have the opportunity to be a part of, of like, there's not anything better than that. Like, if, if, the, if, the, if sacrificial service on behalf of another is at the very heart of the triune God, it's, 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 it's at the very heart of all existence. That this is what life is supposed to be all about. And God says, not only do I want to do that for you, but I want to do that for others through you. I want you to be captured. I want you to be a part of this dance, this beautiful thing that is at my very essence. I want you to invite you into that, that you would experience it, and then that you would be the way that it is extended to others. And we see that Boaz and we see that Ruth do that, and it leads to redemption of a broken life. And God invites us to be a part of that as well. It's how God changes lives. He involves us if we're willing. Now, finally, this passage shows us that the power of loyal love not only has the power to move witnesses and to redeem broken lives, but it also has the power to make a life significant and to make a life worthy of attention. Now, um, Real quick, at this point and kind of the two before it are a little more motivational. Like I want, you, I want us to see this and be moved. It's like I want, I want to partner with God in that way. That I would love others with His love, right? That I would love sacrificially. And so, yeah, let me see how it can move onlookers. Let me see how it can uh, redeem broken lives. But this last point that it leads to significance feels a little bit weird as a motivational point because if you're really committed to sacrificially serving others at the cost of you, then you're not really going to often care about what will this do for you, right? It's like, is this going to make me more significant? (laughs) No, you're not going to be asking that question, yet it doesn't change the reality of the fact that it's this living this kind of way does lead to significant life. And that's, that's just truth. I mean, we think about Harriet Tubman. We think about Mother Teresa. Think about Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, we speak those people's names with reverence. They are heroes. Why? Because their lives were marked by sacrificial service on behalf of another. Loving people at great cost to themselves. We, there's just something in us. We recognize, like, that's what leads to a significant life. And it does. Unfortunately, there's something in us, I'd say it's sin, in our sin nature, that fights against that. That we, we want, there's something in us that wants to live a significant life and also wants to live a very secure life and a very comfortable life. And we think that we can get all of those things by best, the best way is by looking out for ourself. Like the other guardian redeemer who didn't step up. We're just like, okay, what, what will this do for me? And so we think about getting and taking and winning instead of giving and sac- sacrificing and serving. In this passage, uh, the author of Ruth, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does something that I find incredibly intriguing to make the point of how the true significance is found not in, the, not in the getting and the taking and the winning, but in the giving and by the sacrificing and the serving. 
So here's what the author does. Uh, he leaves out the, guardian, the other guardian redeemer's name. Did you notice that? It's not in there. This guy, he's called guardian redeemer, or he's called friend. And the word friend, which is used in, chapter, in verse 1, is, is a, it's a very nice translation, <laughs> and put it that way. In the Hebrew, there's actually a Hebrew idiom that's used there that is uh, best translated, uh, uh, what's his name, or so-and-so. It's, it's a fun word. It's actually the word polonialmoni. That's, that's the Hebrew there. Poloni Almoni is the word that's used. It's a way to say, hey, hey, what's your name? Or, hey, so-and-so, come over and sit down with me. Why is this guy's name not mentioned? It's because he was unwilling to step in and serve his extended family as a guardian redeemer and to marry Ruth. He was unwilling because he thought it was going to endanger his estate. Why did he care about endangering his estate? Because he thought that that's where the security and the comfort and the significance would come from. This could cost me something, and I don't want to, let, I don't want to have to risk that. And yet, here's Boaz's name, still spoken of with reverence thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. Why? Because he wasn't concerned about his name. Now, he was willing to sacrifice and to serve his extended family, to step in for Ruth, and for Naomi. And because of that, his name is actually forever linked with two of the greatest names in all of human history. We see that in how this book comes to an end. It says, The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David goes on. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, and Boaz the father of Obed, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, like King David, the most famous king in all of Jewish history, the one who would be an incredible blessing to an entire nation, that family line didn't stop with David. If you jump to the first book of the New Testament and you read the very first line, what we read is this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. If you keep reading from there, you'll find the names of Ruth and Boaz listed in Jesus' genealogy. The two people who demonstrated God's hesed, his loyal love. The two people who in many ways rejected common sense to do what would be best for them and instead loved selflessly and loyally. It's their names that have stood the test of time and are forever linked with King David and Jesus the Christ. Here's the point. Boaz and Ruth decided to reflect God's loyal love and in doing so were used by God to play a key role in the story of his glory. That their lines would be in the genealogy of Jesus. The Messiah would come from their line. 
Boaz, when faced with an opportunity to take care of himself, to live for himself like the unnamed kinsman, says, no, there is more to life than me. I'm going to take on responsibility for others. I'm going to embrace God's plan for the widow and for this community and my extended family and God's plan to share my wealth with others. And I am going to live for more than just me. And that act of love moved onlookers and redeemed broken lives and led to a life of significance, a life worth remembering and celebrating. Friends, I was just really blown away by this and convicted of this as I studied studied this this week. Because here's, here's the truth, and it's true about me. I think it's probably true about all of us. See, we, we often live uh, with the decision-making grid, kind of that's right here that we filter most decisions through. We, we live with this question, what will this do for me? What's in it for me? But friends, God is up to something so much bigger. And he invites us to live for more than ourselves. He invites us to be his instruments by which he will love people. But it will require sacrifice and it will be costly. But if we do it, people's lives will be changed and our influence, our impact will live on and Austin will become more like heaven. Let's not make the foolish mistake of hearing this and doing nothing with it. Let's put it into practice. Let's begin by evaluating. Are you more like the unnamed so-and-so, the Polonialmoni in this story? Who's only living for himself, trying to make a name great by what he acquires, by what he can get from others? Or are you more like Ruth or Boaz? Have you decided to reflect God's loyal, costly love to others? Love that makes you go out of your way to carry others' burdens. Love that sacrifices time and money and possessions. Yeah, I think that it's... um, The providence of God, which is a key theme in this book. I think it's by the providence of God that this message comes just a couple days after Roe v. Wade being overturned. I say that because, oh, you know, wherever that hits you, the truth is now in this reality, there are more single moms, there are more impoverished families, there are more kids They are going to need the people of God to reflect the heart of God. Who are willing to take care of others even at cost to themselves. That are going to need people who will sacrificially serve others on the other's behalf. And friends, right now there are 1,200 kids in Travis County who are in foster care. That's terrible. It should not be so. We're dropping as a church in Austin. We're dropping the ball right here. 
that we as a church of Austin, if I could be so bold, are much more Polonial Moni. We're much more so-and-sos than we are Boazes and Ruths. And it's not just foster kids. It's, 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 it's the single moms. Like I said, it's, it's, it's the impoverished families. And the need is only going to grow more now in our city as a result of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. What are we going to do? Are we going to choose to step in at cost to ourselves to foster or to care for and take in a family either into your home or just to say, okay, we've got you, we're going to help you financially or get ready for, you know, get prepared for a job or whatever it might be. You need to listen to the Spirit of God on that, but to stay out of it, to, to say this might risk my estate or my comfort level. I hope that's not true of Midtown Church. Well, let's step in and love with the love of God. Serve at cost to ourselves. And that kind of love is costly. And so it's fair to ask, like, what, what will help us do that? What, we need help doing that because we, we don't, whether it's in this area or any other area, it's hard to love others with costly love. But the truth is we have what we need because before God ever invites us to partner with him and be in an avenue by which he loves people in this way, before he invites us to do that with him, he first did that for each of us. And it's what he's done for us that can compel us and empower us to do this for others. See, Jesus lived the most significant life of all by being the one who deserved to be served by everyone. No, he came and he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many, to buy back the lives of many, to redeem it, to be the ultimate, true and better guardian redeemer, to step in and buy us back. How? By serving with costly love. See, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, like we didn't deserve it, but while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And when he did, he redeemed us back to himself. He adopted us into his family. He forgave us. He reconciled us. He washed us and purified us, cleansed us, gave his spirit to live within us. And in giving his spirit to live within us, he empowered us with his very presence to love like he loves. And because he has done that, lived the most significant life by serving others sacrificially, we are the witnesses that are to be moved. And we are the ones that can be blown away when you recognize that this is what God of the universe has done for you. Love you with a costly love. Then you say, okay, yes, I'm going to live for more than me. I'm going to love others with a costly love, with his costly love, with the love that he's loved me with, I will love others with. So friends, to wrap up this message, wrap up this series.
want us to reflect on how he has loved us. May we be moved and reminded that we are empowered to go and love others like he has loved us. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Thank you.